0: in three two one
1: John are we live
0: we're live sir what's going on buddy not too much how are you I'm good good good
1: good back home yeah from where from Mexico I uh, took my mom for her 60th birthday it was my sister's 33rd too so I had two two big birthday celebrations and they had an absolute riot
0: cool very good Uh, what part
1: cancun nice Great oh. weather. It's, like it's supposedly hurricane season right now, <laughs> um, but it rained for 30 minutes the whole trip. It was perfect. <sighs> Nothing.
0: Beautiful. I do remember seeing you did a quick video of the uh, wraparound. Deck. The de- yeah. balcony in that? The balcony. Wow. Wait. So I got
1: a lot cool. of people asking me um, <laughs> how much that cost, yeah. which I didn't really answer, hmm. um, and then which hotel that was. It was at the Rio Palacen. Cancun to Rio, Calus Peninsula. And actually, those rooms are pretty inexpensive. So the upgrade to a room that has like a 800-square-foot wraparound deck is like an extra like 75 bucks a day. That's it? That's it. Wow. Like, it's it's the nicest room for the money you can get in a tropical Mm. place anywhere. And the Rio is always awesome.
0: Oh, I love it. Uh, Cabo, we've done uh, Rio twice. And... uh, yeah, sure. So you want to stay at the
1: Palace, Reid? Yeah, Because the do. Palace ones are nicer. <laughs> yeah. And in Cancun, the Peninsula is the newest. The Las Americas is adults only, but nice. it's an older hotel. So we just stayed at the one that had kids, and I don't I don't mind kids. Some people are adverse to having kids on their vacations, but they don't bug me at all.
0: Do they have, or did they have a pool set aside just for adults?
1: So they have a private pool if you're in the private rooms, but Mm. it's not that private. So you're better off getting the room I had Mm. and then just kind of deal with the kids if they're in there. But the kids typically stay in a different pool than the one where people are playing volleyball and doing stuff at.
0: Cool. All right. Well, I'm glad that you had a good time and mom Daka had a good time. Yeah. She had a blast. Sister. Daca she had a
1: little too much tequila on the day that we took her out on a boat. <laughs> My sister and her were just toasted well, uh, on the day trip. we took them out. And uh, we were trying to get her from the front of the boat to the back of the boat each time. And I was just like so cautious because she was going to go off the side of the boat. Right. She had a good time.
0: Well, that's good. Good. You're a good son. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. She's a great mom. Oh, that's. I'm sure she is. And happy birthday again. That's great. Thanks, buddy. Absolutely. Well, we got to. Great show.
1: We don't have shout-outs because I think I'm going to spend the whole hour with this guy and it's going to zip by, so I'm excited to chat with him.
0: I concur. So Absolutely. no shout-outs from you. No. I'll just jump I, right in. I'm, as I stated in the uh, post- Earlier today. I was very excited about yeah, today and having too. Jeff here. So let's just get to it.
1: I'll get to it. So our guest today is a legend in MMA and Jiu-Jitsu. He's fought in the UFC in Bellator in Strike Force and WEC um, XFO and many, many more. If I butchered any of those, Jeff, just let me know. Uh, he's also the head coach of Curran Jiu Jitsu, uh, the Curran Jiu-Jitsu Academy and Team Current MMA. His um, his schools are very, very popular all around the country. Um, and they're growing and he's an incredible entrepreneur, so I'm pretty excited to have him on. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Happy to be here. We
2: finally made it work.
1: Yeah, I know. We've wanted to have this guy on for quite some time. John and I are both obviously very big, uh, MMA fans. I'm a huge jujitsu fan. John, I think is, uh, becoming a fan of jujitsu is, mm-hmm. he's been hanging around me. <laughs> um, so we're pretty excited to have you on. Tell us how you got involved in martial arts because you've been involved for a long, long time now.
2: Yeah. So, uh... I started training just like, I think when I was like five years old, I went to like the local park district karate and, you know, took class and tried that out. And, uh, I think it was one of those like four week session type things. And then when it expired, um, it was done and we didn't have the money to do like regular monthly lessons at the, at that school. So one I would wait for the next park district thing to happen and I just, I just grew up thinking I was Chinese or Japanese or whatever that's I I was just a fan of anything that had to do with fighting and martial arts and um, when I got a little older I was able to go back to karate class I think maybe mm, well go back even a little bit younger around 10 years old my grandpa decided he was gonna start training me to be a boxer because he he boxed when he was in the army and he made a little ring in the back and he would sit on his chair and tie a belt around my waist. And if I turned away from him, I'd get closer to him. If I tried to turn away from a punch, it'd it'd cycle me closer and he punched me in the face. And then he'd bring me downtown here and we'd go to the Golden Gloves. And basically, um, when he told my mom, when he told me I was going to be a boxer, we started training all the time. And then that got taken away from me because my mom basically said, no way, I'm not going to let him box. And then I convinced her to let me wrestle. So I did like a couple wrestling camps, like third, fourth grade or fourth, fifth grade. And then I went and did three years straight in junior high wrestling. And during that time, during the off time, I started training um, at that karate school that I wasn't able to afford when I was younger. And uh, my dad allowed, you know, helped me get there and stuff like that. And then my training partner there, Tom, who lives down here, he's, uh, he got kicked out of that school and said, You got to come and check out this grappling class on Fridays or on Wednesday nights out in my town that I'm in now. So just one thing led to another. I went to this grappling class where they were the guy Adam Miller, who's, who's one of my black belts and dear friends these days still, he was teaching what he learned at a Hicks and Gracie seminar. So I did one night of that, and I was sold. I went out and bought every single magazine you could imagine and looked for anything that had to do with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I found a seminar was going on in Calumet City and with this guy, Wellington Diaz, um, better known as Megaton. Yeah. So I went down there, got his business card, started training jiu-jitsu, and from that moment on, I was just sold. I think I was 14, 15 years old. Um, no maybe recently turning 15 or just a few months shy. And my buddy and I just became fanatics and we just trained like crazy. And uh, then I just had to become jet set and travel everywhere. So I took about 25 to 30 trips throughout my high school life to Arizona to train under Megaton. And that was kind of where I, I think like that initial like hard work and just going into the gym and getting my, my butt kicked, it was just like, I was sold. And I didn't even know about MMA or any kind of fighting yet until Hoyce fought. And then when Hoyce fought UFC, that was it. It's was like whatever I gotta do to get out there. That's crazy. Because when you started jiu-jitsu,
1: I mean there's a jiu-jitsu school virtually on in, in every township now. When you started, yeah. you had to travel to go to these places. It's crazy. Yeah. It wasn't like a, it wasn't popular. Everybody was starting to karate. I started karate when I was, you know, four or five years old when I was young. And that was kind of the path in the martial arts, was that, or Taekwondo. But you started jujitsu way before the average public even knew it existed
2: yeah um you know i trained down here all the time there was uh there was a lot of drama that went on i was when i was like a 17 year old kid um just turning 17 i've been training with megaton almost three years and um for some reason i went to him and said you know carlson gracie jr do you know him i said yes i know him you know we did We're in the same judo tournaments, and I said, well, he's opening a school downtown Chicago. Do you think when I'm home, rather than me training in the basement at Tom's house, maybe I'm going to go train with him? And he was like, yeah, go ahead. And then um, he ended up taking that, a little more to the story, but he ended up taking that as me leaving his team, which was not happening. So I ended up having this huge falling out. He kind of left me stranded in in, um, Arizona by myself as a kid. Jeez. And he left for a couple of weeks and I usually stayed with him. I had my own room. I had all, all my stuff there. Uh, so I came home and said, you know, I'm going to go down and sign up with Carlson Gracie team. And short time after that, I became the first black belt or the first uh, black belt, first blue belt out of the Chicago location. Wow. And I was really, I was coming down here five, six days a week. And I was doing private class with Hey Diago before every beginner class, and then I'd stick around for a regular class. And it was just my daily routine: quit laying carpet around two o'clock, and drive downtown Chicago, and spend the night here. And um, then Junior just kind of at that time, I don't know what he's going through, but you know, I was nobody. I was not that I was nobody to him, but I'm just another kid, another student. And um, he, whatever was he had to deal with in his life, he had to deal with. He moved to Cincinnati. And it was just out of touch. So he moved, and the brown belt, hey, Iago, moved to L.A., and that was me, Daniel Vienna, and Pedro Vienna, and that was who was down here. And another guy, Carlos, and uh, this other, other guy, Paulo Bezada, who visited once in a while. But ultimately, you know, I was driving all the way down here without a black belt guidance. Those guys were awesome, but they were also striving for that black belt guidance. So at that time, I decided, you know, I'm going to, Look around and see if there's another option for me to get in a plane and go out of town, and that's that led me to a seminar with Pedro Sauer, um, or led me to a Thai boxing seminar that brought me to Pedro Sauer, and then that, that was 18 years old as I met I met him, and I've never looked back. So that's awesome. It's just a long history, but I, we can go on all day. Well, it's crazy. It's
1: crazy. You have to go through so many steps to find. Um, I don't want to say suitable, but like like you said,
2: the black belt guidance that you were looking for, because it just wasn't that popular back then. Right, and Junior was awesome. Like we stayed close. I get a, I get along with everybody from Carlson Gracie team. Uh, he would show up to tournaments years later, even, and just always be there for me and you know coach me because he was local. Because he ended up moving back, obviously, and right. at that point I'd already kind of moved on. And as I got older. I learned about the loyalty aspect of the martial arts. Not that I wasn't loyal. I don't think I could have been any more loyal to the people I trained with. But in, in my head at the time, loyalty would have been for him to not move. Right. Or, but I didn't take it personal. I just figured that's his life. But with the Megaton situation, he—that um, was pretty bad. That was a, maybe a language thing. It was a—it was not good. I was really upset. And then when I met Pedro Sauer, I just. Uh, I just learned jujitsu in a different way, and I just learned how to be better in life. And I just liked the way he made me feel. And he, I actually met him very shortly after my dad passed away, and they were the same age, so um, it was a nice, nice timing to have that kind of mentorship, you know. Sure.
1: And where was that?
2: Where that was. That time? So I took a Thai boxing seminar in Berwyn. Okay with uh, Frank Cucci, who was in town doing a seminar. And I met Frank Cucci, and he said, hey, are you the, and Frank's a Thai boxing coach. He was a brown belt world champion from Virginia, um, and a representative of the time of of Pedro Sauer at the time. He was a a blue belt also. And he said, hey, you're the jujitsu guy, right? I said, yeah. I said, hey, let me ask you this, let me ask you this. And we talked about some techniques. He invited me to Virginia Beach, and now I was traveling to Virginia Beach in Salt Lake City and anywhere else Pedro Sauer Crazy. went. I just was on the road. And the thing about that time period is I would spend two weeks or a month straight living with Pedro Sauer in Utah. Or I would go do a 10-day camp in Virginia Beach and live at a hotel with a few of my friends you know, that were tr- also training and kind of splitting the bill. So it was just always on the road. There was nothing local for me to really tap into. If I was going to train locally, it was going to obviously be with Junior.
1: Well, you, I mean, you have to
2: have an incredible passion to do what you did and go through the
1: steps that you went through to be able to get to where you are now because that's a lot of effort to get around from place to place to place, especially at that point, you, finances were probably pretty we tough. Were a,
2: we were very poor, so I worked all the time. Um, I would work, if for me, like my friends maybe work a part-time job Monday through Friday after school till 8 o'clock at night, and they're making whatever at the time, like, five dollars and 45 cents an hour yeah. whereas I could go or maybe it was a little more than that seven bucks an hour I could go on the weekend on a Saturday and a Sunday and do a carpet job either by myself or with my uncle or my dad and I could make a few hundred bucks and then I don't have to work all week um, every once in a while I'd take two or three days straight and do non maybe 12 hour days of working and I would just save the money and then travel and that was it. So I, I funded my own my own path. Yeah. And what led you to MMA? How did that transition from jiu-jitsu happen to MMA? Well, I seen um, I seen the UFC. And when UFC 1 came out, I was so excited. I was telling all my friends, when we finally got that stupid pay-per-view box to work, I'm like, this guy does what I do. And then as I learned more about Hoist, even though I'd known a little bit about the family, I said, wait a minute. I don't think it goes that way I think I'm doing what he does you know yeah. and um, I thought I thought to myself like I have to do that I want to someday I got to walk out and you know put kind of put it on the line and so I fell in love with fighting and I just started asking everybody I could if they knew anybody that promoted and nobody did and I might have been in a magazine where I saw an ad about the extreme challenge doing a trials and that was like an eight-man tournament and the winner would get a Pro fight, which basically meant you're getting paid to fight. So I drove to Iowa after contacting uh, Monty Cox, who still to this day has managed my whole career. um, Later years, with the help of my good friend Brian Butler from Sucker Punch, but Monty was always there for me. You know, from the beginning, and he called me up and said, "Hey, you know, if you want to fight, you're in. I need one. I need a guy, and it's 35 bucks to enter and." you know, so. And you had a tournament. I, I paid $35 and fought three times. That's and, crazy. Uh, Justin Wisniewski, um, who was Keith Wisniewski's brother. Just, uh, he was in the tournament. He was just a newbie at the time. I fought him. Um, and there was two other guys. One of them was a bouncer at for the bar and also trained at Pat Milatich's, And he was the finals. So I ended up winning all three fights. And that just kind of started it out. And Everyone was like, okay, cool, you did it. Now you're done. I'm like, done. I'm just, this is just the beginning. What are you talking about?
1: That's awesome. It's crazy when you look back. I think actually our mutual friend Christian early in his career had some tournament fights where you you guys had to fight multiple times in a night.
2: Yeah. That's insane. It's something about it, though. Like, once that first one's done, there's no the nerves change. Now you're just kind of like, hurry up. Like, let's do the next one. Uh, I did actually some... We did some challenge fights too like in Virginia Beach like against another team. I had six pretty much straight no holds barred fights on a naval base. Six fights in a day. That's insane. So it wasn't like it wasn't always like the ring setting. You might have just been on a mat doing what people would call like pancration at the time. But yeah. you're bare knuckle. You're kicking. You're punching. You're kneeing. You're trying to choke each other. To me that's about as real of a fight as possible you yeah know? and most of the times at those tournaments we didn't even have gloves so like I fought out multiple times in a day and I actually preferred that but nothing really big on the horizon as the years grew by those tournaments kind of went further away and you know you wake up one day and you're actually known around the world as one of the better guys which was news to me and then I was like oh I better focus and get a little serious about yeah where and when and stuff like that
1: and the crazy thing was when you were fighting they didn't have a lot of the lower weight classes right because like 155 was kind of i mean wec started having lower weight classes but for a long time the weight
2: classes were kind of for bigger guys that were cutting down right yeah uh local shows would do whatever weight class had a ticket seller so that was never a problem but big shows like the ufc they went down to 155 and this was there was like WEC was happening on the West Coast and I think it was mainly on like Indian reservation land. So um, they wouldn't fly people out, they just utilize like local people. So you had guys like Uriah Faber and, you know, a handful of others just kinda of building their momentum out there, which the same way I was building it here locally, only everything happens on the West Coast first. So you had bigger shows, a little better lighting, the whole production was better. Whereas out here, we were just, like, hoping someone got a VHS of it. You know, somebody re- hit record. And, right. And, you know, we could at least prove we did it. Um, so UFC at 155 was doing well for a long time. And that's when you had, like, Matt Sarah, uh, Shoney Carter, BJ Penn. Everybody's going. And then I got a call to fight Matt Serra. Uh, actually, I didn't get a call. My manager, Monty, he called me and he said, Hey, Jeff, you got anybody that would fight Matt Sarah on, like, a week's notice, we got like seven days. I was like, yeah, me. He's like, well, it's what, 155 and you know, you said you wanted to start fighting lighter. And I'm like, I'm like 142 right now, but that's besides the point. So he called Joe Silva and Joe said, Jeff's in. And that one loss was like probably the highlight of my career for many, many years. Just having that opportunity to go there. Yeah. Um, the, re- the, ro- the roster for the UFC at the time was maybe 250 people. It was not easy to get in. Yeah, and after I fought, after I fought Matt, they had one more card featuring lightweights, and that's where I think he fought Ivan Menjivar. And then after that, they nixed the division. Yeah. So I was just like, man, there's no no way I'm ever going to be in the UFC. And um, so two fights after me, then Matt goes and knocks out BJ Penn and becomes welterweight champ. (laughs) You know, like all this crazy stuff is happening, and then. Luckily, I was fighting in Pride. I had a good contract with Pride to have more fights in the Bushido card. And then, obviously, they stopped doing those because Zufa bought Pride. Pride, yeah. And when Zufa bought Pride, then my contract was transferred to the WEC. Awesome.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of shuffling around. I I forgot to mention Pride up front because that's a a true MMA fans-like favorite. Yeah. back in the day Pride was,
2: how but, was that that was crazy because you had the big
1: stadiums and yeah, it was it was chaos it was, chaos out it was there. cool
2: I mean 20,000 people and it's silent Yeah, you know And um, so Pride was I fought in Japan like f- five times four MMA I think one grappling like I was there pretty active with some other shows but Pride was the big one when I went and fought Pride I was just like oh it doesn't matter what happened here I made it you know Yeah. and it's silent it was really cool but
1: I the announcer was
2: crazy. What's that? The announcer was nuts. She's yeah, she she's was, awesome. She was crazy.
1: Yeah, that was uh was did they have lower weight classes when you were fighting at Pride? Did
2: yeah, Pride so I fought in Pride at forty five or with actually in kilograms. I think mean, it was like one forty three nine or okay. whatever it was. Uh I fought Hatsu who's super tall, super difficult fight for me. Um so that was uh, I think that might have been as light as they went. They did like one sixty-five and under was what they called Bushido. Yeah, their Pride Bushido cards were one sixty-five and under. One seventy and up was the regular Prides, and then the the, the like the Grand Prix tournaments and right. stuff like that.
1: Yeah, where they had like the crow cops
2: and Fedors. And, yeah, yeah, those were some fun. I flights. mean, the heavyweight Grand Prix tournaments were Insane. were awesome. I mean, those you could watch them all day long. And what made you want? Because
1: John and I have spoken about this uh, off air a couple times about how most people have a misconception that MMA fighters uh, are making even the pro ones now are making like NBA money and Conor makes Conor money and some of those guys make big money but for the most part like if you looked at this weekend's uh, show money the undercard people are making as little as ten thousand bucks it's not yep. they're not making big money even at the UFC level what made you decide you wanted to have an entrepreneur role in
2: the martial arts world it actually believe it or not was never my plan really um we had I think the one time the first time it ever kind of came to my mind we were training I was still with Megaton and we were in a basement of my friend Tom's basement and I was like Tom I think we should like I had my old karate instructors coming I had friends from school everybody was coming to the basement and we were doing Noel's Bard like training we were choking each other we are teaching stuff and I said hey you know I don't want this to wear out on your dad so how about we charge everybody 40 bucks a month that's coming and we give half to your dad and we put the other half in a kitty and we could use that money to travel out west and he was like yeah I don't want to make this about money blah 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 but you know he had money <laughs> Yeah, at least I assumed by the size of the house more more than myself so that was just kind of my first way of like maybe I can expense this somehow uh, as the years went by uh, I think when I was I opened my gym about four months before my first fight before I did that eight-man tournament I already had a school wow. and the reason why I opened my school uh, was not really a business move it because I was making plenty of money laying floors and I rented the front of the warehouse the carpet warehouse was in the back so my rent was like 350 bucks a month. I didn't have a car payment, none of that was really an issue, and I was making probably $1500 a week laying carpet. And I didn't want that forever, but I wasn't complaining because I like hard work. And uh the goal with that was that um my when my dad, my dad passed away when I was 18 years old and my brother, he moved out west with his fiance. And they got married. And I still had a sister 10 10 years younger than myself. I had my mom. Everyone was kind of struggling. And I was like, I just didn't want to leave my family. And that was the main kicker. Like, I just, whatever I had to do to stay. So I figured, you know what? I got a good handle on this. I'll just, if I'm going to fight, I'll just train people. And then they'll be my training partners. So having like a club kind of style gym was my way of having... Training locally, and it was like a sixty-five dollar a month thing, and I paid three fifty a month in rent. And the training was just off the off the hook hard. I didn't care if anybody complained. Then I was like, "Cool, you're not built for this. You can go." And practices were a minimum two hours, followed by or like preceded by an hour of hard tie boxing. A couple days a week sparring. Like everything was just like go go go. It's like a fight camp. Almost. Yeah, like training. Like you're in the wrong. You don't get it, guys. If you don't train like this, you'll never be good. And my mindset wasn't shifting yet to where it is now. And um, but it was allowing. I would train with somebody who is super super physical, very difficult to deal with as it is. And when I tell them to widen their base and put their hand here instead of there, and don't let me grab there, and do this if I do that. In a month's time, I've got two three guys that are just like. Wild animals are really hard to deal with, so I go a year or two down the road, and next thing you know, I just got training partners so uh then they all of course they all want to fight, so I start getting guys ready for fights, and that's just kind of where it launches
1: Is that how what kind of led you into the management side of stuff when you were managing fighters and
2: or promoting fighters uh, The most popular team of my era was. Pat Mileticist's team. Right. And their main reason for that is that the fighters had a stage to showcase their skills on. Every every other, probably once a month, there was an extreme challenge event where f- amateurs can go. Or Monty would do like w- like Friday night fights. And fighters like Drew Erion, uh Robbie Lawler... These guys would get exposure there. They would do three one minute rounds of boxing without with or without headgear, I forget, pay a twenty dollar entry fee and knock knock the heads off of people. And Monty'd be like, dude, go get training, you know, go see Pat Miletic. And that's how these guys were found. So all of that momentum of that team, Bonnie's like, look, I think you got enough people. Like if we can start a show locally, like you said, like he, like I'd mentioned to him, he's like, we can build your guys. So Nowadays, if you don't have a promoter that you can trust to get you the fights, it's going to be really hard to build a fighter because it's very regional. It's actually more local than regional. Promoters only want ticket sellers most of the time. They don't want to bring in somebody, fly two people in, pay them money, and or let alone fly them in for an amateur bout. So you just got to know the right people. And I figured, you know, I, I'll never be able to do this if I have to rely on other people. So I created the XFO with Dan Lardy and Monty Cox, and we were off and running. And we started doing trials, which were amateur shows, and discovering people and keeping them busy. We got Clay Guida's first, his start. Chase Beebe, like guys like that, were J- Jason Guida down the list. Bart Polchewski, who was one of my fighters. My cousin, Pat Curran, yeah. everybody was just built I through the Curtis Excel
1: Blades fight. fought for you guys. What's that? Didn't Curtis... Yeah, I mean, Blake? the list was huge. Yeah. Chael, Sonnen Chael Sonnen came out here
2: and fought Terry Martin Yeah, and broke his rib. I mean, and lost the fight. Like, Terry Martin's another one. I mean, yep. the list goes on. Shoney Carter's fought for us. We didn't build Shoney. He was already Mr. International at that yeah. point. But we had so many people that never fought before where I was like, hell yeah, if I, let's get him. Let's get him some fights, you know? And... Um, being a fighter myself it was easy for me to understand what fighters needed so i built the xfo t- for the reason to showcase my guys but not necessarily always against the other local guys right. but at the same time we had a pretty good win rate probably 75 80% of the time we were winning and sometimes you know i'd fight other guys from local gyms and my guys i'd go and have a night where i'm 0 and 3 and then i'd have another night where i'm 5 and 1 and other coaches would be complaining that I'm not that I'm setting their guys up to fail. I'm like, look, I just lost three in a row. Like, we're all on the same page. These are fights. We we can't predict it. So, as the years went by, I just got a little frustrated with being in so many roles. Yeah. Money was not worth it to me. You know, money. I it was not worth the stress. You know, yeah. I gotta keep my sanity and try to focus on uh, my own career and at least my own team. And I wanted their careers to be good. So I tried to manage them the best I can and, you know, get them – if if managing them was getting them a manager, then that was my role. Or getting them fights or making sure that the fights they were taking were going to coincide with training camps with other fighters. It was just a really – it's a really difficult job yeah. to be a head coach. So any anybody out there that coaches fighters full-time knows it. You know, they – it's – it's a little crazy and a lot of personalities too a lot of clashes and um for myself i think the biggest clash is that i'm also a fighter and as the coach i'm trying to be i know they want me to be hard on them so i'd say okay gotta be at sparring and then you have 20 guys show up for sparring and then the next week six and i'm like hey guys so i get on them and then they get upset and it's just one of those things where like the further away I can get from the large group, the better because the students really, you got your average guy who works all day, comes and trains five days a week, four days a week, like religiously, develops skills, healthy, has fun, never complains, pays his tuition, loves jujitsu, loves tie boxing, can care less about anything else other than just being there and experiencing it. and. For years, I was so wrapped up in the fight game that I overlooked a lot of those types of people. And um, mo- thankfully, most of them stuck it out, and they were they were understood where I was at that time in my life. But really, those are the people that need to get the majority of my attention on a daily basis. yeah. And of course the A-listers, you know, like I got Joey Deal is a stud. Love One of Joey. my fighters, Corey Galloway, stud, but now he's living out West. Right. And of course, Felice Herrig, you know, she's my only UFC fighter. Um, she's, Felice is awesome. I love, I love how she, I love how she wants to work hard and wants to do everything. My only th- Stressful part about that has always been training partners with any female or even heavyweights It's always hard to find the right people at the right time. So it's always a balance, you know yeah. It's always a balance getting everybody ready, but we manage Well,
1: and you guys in, in one thing and I'll let you explain jiu um, uh, To everybody I, I think a lot of times people hear the word jujitsu and they equate it with MMA what you guys have done Which is really nice is you have your pro fighters or fighters who are uh, Amateurs working towards pro that train together, but you have classes for yeah. kids. Your kids' program is incredible. You guys have tons of kids. I think you're probably the busiest kids' program that I've seen in the area at least. Um, and then you have, like you said, the 9 to 5-er guy like me who might want to show up and do something yeah. jujitsu related who doesn't have aspirations of going and fighting in the UFC. Um, explain jujitsu to people because I think it gets a misconception that, oh, I remember the first time I told my mom I'm going to jujitsu, She's like, is that that cage fighting stuff? And I'm like, no, no, it's not right. at all. There's uh, I'm not getting struck in the head um, unless something goes wrong. But explain it to people so that they know.
2: Uh, I like to look at jiu to me is 100% first and foremost it's a self-defense art like we're going to practice not getting hit we're going to practice what to do in all these bad situations things like that but once you take the realism out of it and the street aspect out of it and you form that base then jiu becomes just this lifestyle and this this nice smooth game of just exploring and training and challenging yourself and Unlike other martial arts, you can't go, you can't train Thai boxing, maybe a bad example, but you can't train Thai boxing every day, full speed, realistically without pads, without gloves, without gear, because you'd be crippled, like yeah. you'd be done. Jiu-jitsu you can't. You right. can grapple hard every day and develop those skills that you need, so I just think that... Most people, once they get over that little, that little hump, once they, once they feel like, okay, you know what, I'm going to try this, they fall in love with it. Right. When you sit in the outside and you think, oh, I don't want to be, everyone always says this, and I'm sure you've probably had friends say this to you too, like, I'll say like, hey man, you know, you should get on the mat, you should come train. You're like, oh, I might, man, but don't kick my ass. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> where does that even come from? maybe years back probably was yeah. was gonna be like that. But um, no, it's just, uh, it's a self-defense martial art. Survive first. Peter Sauer has this, my, my master, he talks about Hickson who is like, the second you touch him, he's tapping you out, like, or he's trying. He's, there's no play, he's gonna go. If you're grappling, he's gonna try to tap you as many times as you can. But, so that's a little bit almost opposite of like his father's mentality a Grace's survival mentality but you need that in this in the school if everyone is killers right then you also have master survivors and as long as they're trying to beat you safely and not you know not hurting you and like hurting your joints then which in my school rarely ever happens these days like accidents maybe but you're more likely to probably fall off your bike than to get hurt yeah. trying jujitsu once you do that and you adopt the mentality of surviving and practicing the self-defense side of it, even when you're grappling or rolling, even if you're getting ready for a tournament, the mentality is totally different than just being aggressive and you know, trying to kill each other. Well, what's great is anybody of any age can start it.
1: I've seen people, you know, we, at Valka we don't have a kids program, you guys start kids very young, but people at 60 started. I've seen people come to the gym who are in their 60s and they're like, hey, I want to do this and helps them shed a ton of weight. They get in great shape. They feel good about themselves. I think the camaraderie is amazing at, at most schools. Um, and that's what I love about it. You can be any age, any shape, um, and you can be any gender and you can start. Whereas I agree, you know, I've, I've boxed a bit and when you box, if you go hard every single day, if you are the type of guy who's not going to go and uh, have aspirations to do this professionally or to compete, you're going to go to work with a banged up head and ringing yeah. ears and it just, you can't do that every single day. It's not possible.
2: And more so, more and more what we're learning about head injuries yeah. these days, I look back uh, in my career and I think, oh my God, I'm lucky because in one month I'll hear about four deaths, you yeah. know, or you'll have in two weeks time I hear about three people dying or and or being in the ICU, like uh, being like hoping that they wake up from trauma to the brain, from either a fight or even hard sparring. And it's just scary. So jujitsu, you don't have any of those worries. As long as you're respectful with your partner and that culture, like the culture in my school now is very welcoming to anybody. I have a fundamental program that everybody that is new off the street, never done any kind of grappling art or whatever, never never done jujitsu, they have to go to fundamentals. They have to learn jiu-jitsu in the right order. It can't be just trying to paint the wall by throwing handfuls of paint at it. We put layers on, little at a time. We sh- we just layer the, st- we, we layer the... We break down the position and tell a story. That's probably the best way to put it. When you're in this position, you do this. Here's how it connects to that. And each class is just a rotating 25 classes, and they connect to each other, and... Having that kind of foundation for the new guy, it's huge because probably I don't know how long ago you started jujitsu, but a lot of times we just show up and you don't know. It's just like, okay, guys, hard warm up and here's a cool move. And then you're like, okay, cool. I remember a move kind of like that. And then you roll hard. It was never like out making the connections along the way. So the connections and the story, am I engaging in the fight? Am I disengaging in the fight? Am I defending? Am I countering? And the mentality that Pedro Sauer always talks about is uh, the mouse trap, and letting them fall into it. You don't. He's like Atilio hey, Gracie always said: you don't put the cheese in the trap and chase the mouse. You know, it's, you're never going to get them. True. You got to set the trap and wait. So you teach this patience. And so much about jujitsu. If you let it, maybe not. If you come in with a very egotistical mindset, it's not going to happen. Or skeptical. But if you have a open mindset and you get into jujitsu, you'll see the mentality and the philosophy of jiu jitsu can can r- roll into your normal life very naturally and you can start using jujitsu to solve problems and jujitsu to make decisions. And it's a nice thing. It's a nice thing for people and I think that everybody needs to do it. So
1: I, I agree. I, I I can't tell you and I started nine ish years ago, um, but I can't tell you how much things you learn in martial arts or jiu-jitsu translate to everyday life and business. And then how many of the people that I have done jiu-jitsu with who are just such intelligent, sharp guys? And I just remember when I first started, I'm like, what's it gonna be like? And then you get there and you're like, man, all these guys are sharp, guys and gals, sharp guys and gals. And uh, it's just, I agree. Anybody who's ever asked me like, oh, should I start a martial arts at this point in my life? I'm like, go to jiu-jitsu. Yeah.
2: That should be your number one stop. The thing, the the most... The, the one thing that you get out of jiu Jitsu for safety is that you can always tap right right no matter what like right. I, for, probably for the first time in my whole life training jujitsu, I trained with this guy his name's Steve he's awesome like he's I don't know I want to say he's 56, 57 years old he's uh got a great job at a university um, this past year he's just fallen in love with jujitsu, and I think he's probably lost 50 pounds. And you him. would never think that when he first came in, I was, you know, he's one of those guys like, ah, oh, man, I hope he sticks around and sees the real benefit of jiu-jitsu. And now every once in a while he's messaging me and we talk and, you know, he'll ask me some insights or he'll say, you know, as I get deeper into this, I'm learning this and learning that. Well, I rolled with him a year later for the first time the other day. I think it was Saturday. And, you know, I usually let big guys and like new guys, like, do whatever they want to me he got me in like a headlock control that i had showed probably a month ago or whatever maybe someone else showed it to him when he picked it up but he's like holding my head and he's anchored and he's putting all his weight on my chest and not trying to crush me just being that strong and that heavy not that and it was just well distributed weight he was on my my chest and i almost tapped from pressure at first i tried all my tricks to get out and i'm like Okay, the only trick that I'm going to probably be able to use here is patience, because he's going to prob thats where he's going to maybe get frustrated that nothing's happening, and he was trying for my arm and holding, and I'm like, nothing I'm doing—I couldn't create any momentum, and eventually he decided, okay, this is getting a little—if I hold on too long, I feel like this might I happen, know. so he let up on me, and if not, man, I probably was going to tap out just from pressure. Yeah, and I think that. I think that the average person, when they're told that a tap is okay, yeah. you know, I, I'm comfortable. I know, like, next step is going to be tapping because if not, I'm going to have a broken chest. The average person just signing up doesn't know. They need to know that it's okay to tap. Ego yeah. is such a big thing in jiu My only neck neck injury my whole career was in getting ready for my last fight to win a match of, uh whatever it was, two months ago or whatever. And one of my guys, Robert, caught me in a choke. And it was so deep. And I'm like, i got to get out of this and be in the mindset of competing. So I fought out of it, but not before I heard like three or four pops to my neck. Yikes. So while we're talking about everyone should do jiu-jitsu, for sure. But you got to know your limits. And you yeah. you got, got to strengthen your body from the early, from the start with the fundamental training. And I think that's huge. I think that setting the ego aside is so important. It, I think once you've done it long enough, you know that
1: oh, this armbar is probably deep enough that I should tap. It makes yeah. no sense in a class letting your arm snap or someone grabs a kimura and you're like, "Oh, I'm not gonna like let that ride out until I lose my we shoulder." Can get
2: John on air and teach him some jujitsu. Yeah, John, you want to come here and he's <laughs> Absolutely. gonna we're gonna teach Absolutely. you a knee bar really quick. No, that's that'd be great. You have a lot
1: of shout outs by the way. Before I go on, I want to at least be able to get these out to you. You got. Um, uh, I'm losing them because of this new setup. Uh, Sandy Lorenz Carlson, best teacher ever.
2: Uh, that's, my, that's my mother-in-law. <laughs>
1: yeah, Carrie uh, CP. My kids have learned so much from Professor Curran. They love his classes.
2: My sister-in-law. You're getting a he? lot of
1: family love here. Uh, Diane Wells said, Is there any other training, martial arts or otherwise, that would be beneficial prior to starting jujitsu?" I'll let you take that one.
2: Anything that you should do before prior starting jiu Yeah. Any training you should do? It's a, uh, Diane, you said? Yeah, Diane. Diane, if you're still watching, it's easier to teach jiu-jitsu to a blank canvas than to have to first paint the painting and, to, and let it dry and restart because people with other martial arts or other backgrounds, let's take even wrestling, sometimes some of the habits are just hard to unlearn. Uh, if you have this preconceived idea of what fighting or self-defense is, it's really hard to adjust your mindset or your, the personality f- to fit the philosophy of jiu-jitsu, at least the jiu-jitsu that I was taught. And I would say that experience in martial arts might help with your confidence to walk on the mat, but experience to learn jiu-jitsu is, is better if you don't have any. It's a nice, clean start, and you're not, your, your learning process isn't uh, confused by other things you might have learned in the past.
1: Perfect advice.
2: You have a favorite fighter
1: from uh, Mike uh, Lenz, his favorite fighter ever, Big Frog, which is his nickname, by the way. For those of you that didn't know, Mike Lindsay.
2: Yeah, Mike Lindsay. Mike. Yeah, Mike's my one of my one of my best friends from high school. He's actually Mike is the one who kind of nominated me for my high school Hall of Fame, and um, I got inducted into that last year. So that was pretty Very cool. cool. And I'm going to push for him this year. He's he should have it way before me. Super, super athlete. What, what, uh, what sport? Mike played baseball. He played basketball. I mean, awesome. I don't know if there's a third one, but definitely standouts in both of those.
1: And, uh, our good friend, Joey, grateful to learn my jujitsu from Jeff Curran.
2: <laughs> Joey's awesome. So all my friends are coming out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I told you
1: that's why we shared it on yours so we could get all the love from your that's friends cool. and family. Um, and then you obviously touched on coming back from retirement. Has that kind of been a tough thing? Stepping away from it personally doing it on a professional side? Yeah. Uh,
2: probably, probably that's the, you know, I look at BJ Penn right now, you know, right now BJ Penn is, he's overdone it. He should be done. Yeah. You know, for his health, I get the desire more than anybody. Um, I said earlier before we started the show that I've retired three and a half times. Uh, I retired once, then I retired a second time, and then I took a fight and had to pull out due to medical reasons. Really bad headaches, and um, they lasted about six months, and I couldn't fight. So at that point, I called it quits, and then uh, about six months later, I felt great. So I started hunting for a fight, and it took about a year to get the right fight, and that was my last fight that i had in against rafian stats and after that fight i retired permanently i should say but in my head it's always indefinitely because fighting is one of those things that no one else like no one else in my life really understand what fighting did to me in my own brain like now i'm not talking the damage that's a different story i'm talking like it, it, it made me my best. It made me feel at least physically and spiritually connected to my kind of what I feel like I live for, you know, in my personal or my professional life is to execute a game plan and go fight and prepare. So but the realities are I would probably need to spend more money on my updated medicals than I would get paid to fight. Yeah, and any injury, the deductible, even if the organization had insurance, whatever. By the end of the day, it's going to be an expense to me if it's not perfect. And getting anything perfect in this sport is not, not very realistic. So, right. it lingers in my brain. There's not a day that doesn't go by where I don't bother my my friend Brian and tell him my ideas on who I could fight and where and when and message promoters. My train ride down here, I was talking with. A promoter and about potential and he says you know i don't think i can afford you and i'm like you'd be surprised <laughs> <laughs> like i go i would fight for cheap if it was right like yeah. i just uh fighting was never for money we talked about it a little bit yeah. earlier on my whole career with sponsorship maybe three hundred thousand dollars in <laughs> 21 20 years of fighting it's crazy maybe Minus right off the top, take 30% off of that right. because I pay a coach and I pay a manager. And so this was never for money. And there was times where I was fighting easily eight, ten times a year. And, and early on paying to fight. What's that? Early on you were paying to fight. I was paying to fight. I once fought. I drove six hours, won the fight in like 30 seconds, took the kids back, choked them out, and didn't get paid to fight because the fight was too quick. So I got I got a I got a T shirt and forty bucks. Wow. Unbelievable. And they gave me a hotel for the day at a condemned hotel where me and my team of probably sixty-five people that carpooled down piled in these couple little hotel rooms that were literally closed up. And they gave they said they were open or they were bat the doors were bashed in and the owners wouldn't mind if we hung out there but we couldn't stay the night because they're not paying for hotels. I did every extreme thing you could imagine to find a fight. And you start kind of running around town like a drug addict, like, hey, I'll do it. Uh, Hey, what do you got, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you did it for the love of it, obviously. I did. And I think,
1: obviously and thankfully, it's led you to having a very successful school. And I I think from go, just by chatting with you, and I didn't know your backstory, I, I had known who you were and we had met before. I didn't realize how early on the passion started for you and how dramatically the passion like kind of lit a fire in you, traveling like that, yeah. and um, it, it's great. And I, I'm, I'm presuming, and it sounds like your your students are, uh, are saying this as well, that your passion probably really comes out when you're coaching and training now. I'm sure the passion has um, taken a different path, obviously, and it sounds like you obviously always still want to fight, but I'm guessing that passion's there in coaching now.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know it's it's weird. Jiu-jitsu to me was always Gracie Jiu-jitsu. It was and Pedro Sauer is so Gracie Jiu-jitsu and to me Jiu-jitsu was always just Gracie Jiu-jitsu. I want to forget about teams, forget it's team Jiu-jitsu for me. So all I ever wanted to do was carry that flag of being go I want to go down in history as the guy that did my part to show Jiu Jitsu's effectiveness. I grew up watching Gracie in action tapes, bare knuckle fighting. um, Gracie challenges. Oh my God, the Gracie challenges everywhere. And it was like, I just wanted that. I would gladly travel around the world and go to dojos and fight different people. But I want people to know what it's for. MMA took this turn to be a sport. And one day when my manager called me and, and he's like, Monty's like, "Hey Jeff, did you hear the news?" And I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Oh, you're in the, you're ranked number nine in the world." And I was like, "Where?" He's like, "Oh, on Sherdog." Sure I said, "Where's that?" He's like, "It's on the internet." I'm like, "I don't even have internet." Yeah. You know, I don't have an email. I don't have an internet. I have none of that. So uh, I started figuring out how to like look on the internet and figure things out and. um I was like, oh wow, this is cool. There's actually a sport here. Like, maybe I can pursue that. Growing up I wanted to be a hockey player. Now I'm like, I could actually I'm considered a professional now and I'm ranked. How far can I take this? So it became a different um the mission to represent jujitsu never changed, but now it became a different um obsession for me. It was just how can I go as far as possible? And I went a lot of my career with a chip on my shoulder because like I said earlier, the West Coast, everything was happening out there first. Styles, foods, trends, everything is coming from the West Coast this way most of the time. And here I'm sitting back watching this show called Warrior Nation, and Uriah Faber has got this TV show on whatever channel it was. And I was like, who's this kid? You know, he hasn't done half of what I've done, and I'm getting all worked up. And it was just this like animosity and this like built up, like, I don't know if it was just being from a small town and never really having opportunity and having to always kind of either beg your way in or prove your way in that created that chip on my shoulder. And but people that didn't understand that or people that didn't support that, uh, they just they didn't really have a place, you know, in my life. And I just wanted to focus on that. And then I got to fight Uriah and I put my foot in my mouth and. You know, get choked out. <laughs> so that's life. But he just made a comeback too, more yeah. successful than BJ's. He made a he made a comeback. Uh, for, he just turned forty. Um, I'm turning forty two. So we both, you know, we're not far apart. Yeah. Um, I would, if I was getting paid what he's getting paid, if I would have had, a, let's just say one or two good wins in the earlier days of my WEC or my UFC career. Probably would have been the deciding factor of where I sit in the overall um, roster and like what my value is. But you know, when I when I left the UFC, I was getting paid eight thousand dollars. You know, like eight thousand to show, eight thousand more if I win, and it would go up to ten and ten if I won that fight. And you know, you don't win, and then you had two losses in a row, so they cut you and back to the drawing board. And it's just hard on you because for something that was never about money, it was never about fame, it was only about representation. When everyone else is getting those things, it starts to become this weird, like, uh, psychology of what am I missing or what am I doing wrong? So you just keep trying to fix it and better. And um, I had, I try to adopt these days, um, I try to adopt my my work ethic towards fighting, and I'm trying to focus this more towards my business. And uh, I've always had my business since, like, 22 years now but now it's like it's getting probably 95% of me It's awesome what do you think about the sport jiu-jitsu kind of taking
1: off because there's like professional jujitsu now it's, it's yeah. got itself a platform that I, in the last
2: couple of years at least has become bigger than it's ever become or been uh, I love sport jujitsu I mean I thought I was going to love it a lot more getting back. like I stopped competing really actively as purple after purple belt I won a few good championships there and then I had a few super fights as a brown belt and a black belt and my my MMA career was so busy t- coupled with a, a pro boxing career at one point uh doing jujitsu boxing and MMA I'm basically a three sport yeah. athlete and trying to run my gym so something I always gave I think you know with that I, the experience was good and that's why I got into it but with the sport jujitsu, um, I enjoy doing super fights. Like I love fight to win and being able to go out and have the stage and do one match. I thought I was going to be more into the tournament scene, but I think what comes happens with that having kids and having a business right. and and you know my wife and I trying to just keep things re- as realistic as possible. Like to spend money on a tournament fee, even if I get reimbursed by a sponsor. I still gotta buy a flight, I still gotta buy a hotel. If I go locally, now I'm you know, I'm going in subpar at best, up against some young rising kids who might be down the street. They're, I don't want anybody making a name off of me. Right. Because the real me when I'm when I'm game is a different it's yeah. a different entity that they would face.
1: Well, what I didn't like, and I don't know if you saw the um, the comments that Keenan just recently made, saying that uh, he- Helio and uh, Hickson would have been purple belts at best right now. And it's like, yeah, maybe if they went into a IBJJF match, you could you could say that, but Jiu-Jitsu started off as quite the self-defense martial art and. I would venture a guess that Hickson yeah. would kick the crap out of Keenan if they got into a
2: fight. Look, you got combat jujitsu, Right. Guys are slapping Which is a slapping one, right? They're slapping each other while they grapple. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me, where would somebody like Keenan be if somebody's trying to punch him in the face? Right. What happens to his jiu-jitsu? He can say all day long what would happen, but we don't know that. Right. Until he fights somebody, his size that knows how to fight, and wants to hurt him.
1: Yeah,
2: Hicks and eighteen years old fighting Zulu. Like that guy was rough. Valley Tudo's been in Brazil for many years. Tough guys. They know how to sprawl. They know how to kick, punch, tie tie box. They knew how to escape jiu-jitsu. Some of them knew jiu-jitsu, Like there's a whole world of jiu-jitsu in brazil that isn't the gracie family right of guys that came up under the other lineage at the same time with mitzumi so man that's uh like the pedronera side um fada as fada and um that's that side of the tree but or that side of the the brazilian jiu-jitsu but sport guys that never fought shouldn't be they, saying that they're their art that this difference in jiu-jitsu is like you could be really finesse and really fancy. I've got a bunch of tricks, and I know when they work in fights, and I know when they don't. Like, if you, if you can make a move work in an MMA fight, it's probably going to be effective on the street. If you have to rely on the lapel and tying up everybody for that to be jujitsu, then probably that jujitsu is not going to transfer to the street as well. Right. If you're not controlling the wrist, or if they're not wearing a long sleeve or a jacket that's opened in perfect length, like there's all those things. So, guys that are just just I don't even say just amazing athletes. Like Keenan's jiu-jitsu is off the charts. It's all really good. But don't say someone like Hickson, who's battled his whole life to build the art that he's exposed to, right. and has his future with, would be a purple belt at best. Because Hickson in his prime against Keenan in his prime, I'm pretty sure I'd throw down everything I own that Hickson would put it on him. Yeah. And not be tied in knots with his his lapel.
1: Yeah, and as a guy who <laughs> brave early on with the Gracie challenges were basically anybody.
2: You could show up and be three hundred pounds yeah. and they're like, Okay, fine. Man, we'll do pa- this. Pedro Sauer one time I I did a seminar with him and he put me in the middle to rest to to roll with everybody and I was uh similar to who I am right now just not in my not in any kind of fight shape just took some time off came up for air right now I think I came up for a little too much air but you know I was just put he's like come on little Jeff put me in the middle and I was going through guys going through guys and about 20 30 minutes in I come across this big brown belt really good probably three four stripes super tough and I spent the next 45 minutes of my life just fighting Fighting for my life, just like I didn't want to lose in front of Pedro. I didn't. I couldn't. I knew right away anything I tried is probably not going to work. So I'm going to just let time be. And I got done, and I ended up sweeping him. Maybe catching a choke from behind or something. But I went up to him. I said, Professor, I'm sorry. Like I'm just not ready. For, I'm not. I wasn't prepared to train so hard today. And he said, Don't worry, Jeff. He's like the good thing about jiu-jitsu is when we're at our worst, jiu-jitsu is at its best. And it made a lot of sense to me, you know how is your jiu jitsu when somebody's trying to attack you and beat you up and you're you know when you're going out to the store to get something or going out with your family or with your friends you're gonna do a fight camp and get ready for it, or are you gonna just be ready for what comes right. and that's how i'm that's how I believe jiu jitsu needs to be first rather than just metal chasing in the sport. I love. I love sport competition jiu jitsu. This is not a knock on that. I actually like the combat jiu jitsu more and more. I'm agreeing with that's about as close as we can get without having to cross the lines into being uh, sanctioned by like an MMA organiz- or uh, athletic commission. So you're getting some experience out there for the guys, and hopefully, it'll help more jiu jitsu fighters lead into the MMA world and represent jiu jitsu like I did at any cost, at any no matter what was going to happen i'm going to go out there and i'm going to show that jiu jitsu worst case is going to survive and win if i come out not beat up not knocked out to me jiu jitsu won and well we'll see I, that's a weird comment i actually didn't hear that and
1: it was like jiu jitsu times or something posted it and it was a clip of what he had said and
2: uh, he got everybody jumped down his throat for obvious reasons for obvious reasons like something's just you know, these are, to me, like, it's hard for me because they're walking gods Budgets, to yeah. me. They're people that, like, Hickson's still alive. I sat next to Hickson, closer than we're sitting right now, and I sat in a, in a meeting with him and Pedro Sauer and uh, Louis Soretti and a couple other guys, and we sat in this meeting, and I, got, I was looking at Hickson, and, you know, he's got scars all over his face, and he's calloused from just wars, you know, he's been in battles and you could just see him missing fighting. And I I could elaborate on the experience, but as I sat there and talked to him, you know, he reached over at one point and like grabbed my shoulder and was talking about fighting and just keeping it really real. And I'm thinking like this guy is uh he's a walking he's a walking jujitsu god. He's the yeah. king. And he doesn't deserve to have comments like that. So yeah,
1: agreed. Yeah, I'm glad to see Kron now kind of in the UFC and using jujitsu really as kind of the base to again prove yeah, old school
2: jujitsu. The sports like we have to evolve jujitsu to survive the high level of this sport for sure. You have to be a mo- MMA fighter. You have to train striking. You have to learn how to s- wrestle. You have to learn. You have to strengthen condition, or you're just gonna always be okay. Yeah. Part of my, one of the best things about me is that, I should say the, the good and the bad of this thing is that, I was a good boxer. I had a great boxing coach, Doug Mango. He, you know, he really made me a good a good striker. Forget about kicking. I kicked when I wanted to, but I had always hurt feet, and I didn't want to mess up my ankle and not be able to lock my guard like I had a little corpse about my style that maybe they shouldn't have been there but they were and sometimes the boxing being a good striker against all the wrestlers I faced my whole career it just forced the fight to the ground they didn't want to stand and trade punches with me yeah and a lot of the real good strikers didn't either they would fade away and they'd try to if they were longer than to me they'd out kick me and point me but If they weren't, then they weren't, and they couldn't take me down. Then it was my night. Boxing was such a big integral part of my own career, but I learned and practiced religiously, Thai boxing and wrestling and boxing because I want to use that as protection for Jiu Jitsu. I don't want Jiu Jitsu being known as the, the art that started the UFC, but nowadays you know wrestlers are dominating or tie right. boxers are dominating, or jiu-jitsu guys are laughing stock, right? Like, I just don't want, I don't, I'm too passionate about what jiu-jitsu is and what it is for me, and I don't want to see that happen. And Hickson's in that stage of his life where he's like, you know, with, with his stuff too, with the Global Federation that he started and his self-defense unit, like, let's make sure, if you're a five-time world champion in jiu-jitsu, black belt, You understand how to block punches when someone's on top of you right if not what are you passing on you're not you're passing on a sport that's it it would be like just having an it would be like having a baseball academy where all you did was teach hitting right you know what i'm saying and all you that was your training for year round because you could hit a home run at any home run contest you can go out and do a home run contest and win out all of them or a slam dunk contest but how is your baseball everywhere else right. if you can't hit the home run? And I use other sports as analogies like that sometimes, but if you think about it, jujitsu, where you're just grappling and looking for the submission and no one's trying to hit you, is completely just like maybe a quarter of what jiu-jitsu is all about. Right. Right. Yeah. And what's on the line? Your life on the line? Right. The money that's going to pay your bills on the line? Like, what's, what are the other factors that surround it? It's crazy.
1: So what's uh, kind of next steps for, for Jeff Curran? Are you going to f- do a lot of focusing on the team and the school now?
2: I was like... Yeah, you know, th- that's kind of a common thing. People say, oh, now you can just run your gym. Like, you know, I've been running my gym since I was 19. About six months before, six months before my first fight, I started my school. I understand those responsibilities. Then I had no help. Now... Now would be an ideal, an ideal time for me to have a fight career
1: Yeah.
2: because now yeah. I could wake up now and you have just the go free time. train and right. travel and do whatever necessary to get. But since I can't do that and fighting is one of those, one of those things is the longer it drags out before I fight, the further away, realistically, I'm going to get from ever doing it again. Um, I have a few other fights I got to get through to even get to a fight, which would probably be just the communication with my wife. Yeah, <laughs> you know? um, she's all about me doing doing what I do. But you know, it's enough is enough, and my health is issues, and the why and what are we working towards thing. Sure. But um, when it comes to my overall future, my 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 life is just building my business, which is just doesn't take anything other than just work ethic and being a place where you're good with people, good to people, I should say. I could be bad with people and treat them good, but my staff is awesome. I build my school up. Uh, I got six affiliates. I'm doing a retreat once a year where I'm getting teams from like 15 15 to 20 different teams from across the country, meeting me in Florida every February, and we're training jujitsu for four days and hanging out and just kind of like I said earlier team jiu jitsu no affiliation type thing I love working for Peter Sauer's association and you know helping him spread I want to spread on his legacy so I have a lot of things going on but I think that if you're passionate about what you do and you do you don't lounge around all day you get up and get after it these are the things that are result in success i mean we're always trying to refine even the smallest of behind the scene things that maybe they're not perfect and maybe some guy can say hey why don't you get a guy to do this it's like because then i'm spending money we don't have and i would rather we figure it out and we do it together and you know dig into the business so life is good i mean we're at about 320 members well i got six affiliate schools I can probably go every weekend and do a seminar if I wanted to. I try to limit it to about ten or twelve a year because I want a life. I spent every weekend in a corner in a locker room and cornering MMA fighters for better part of eighteen years, nineteen years. These last few years I'm trying to pull away from having a big fight team and reset and see what my next crop of guys will do as they come through my new system and my new approach to kind of running my business and my school. And should they be able to fight or want to fight, then absolutely, you know, I'll be there and be in their corner and help get them ready. Uh, Other than that, man, just train.
1: You got some more shout-outs. Mike Westcott actually said, Good evening, sir. Hopefully um, be able to meet and train with you at the headquarters for winter camp. Is
2: that the once a year? So the winter camp... At The headquarters, he's talking about, as Pedro Sauer does, a, f- a couple conferences a year, like trading camps at his affiliate, or at his headquarters in Herndon, Virginia, and like my la- I the last couple I've been doing a Friday night Nogi session too, and that Nogi session had like almost 200 people at it, so I'm meeting a lot of good people and a lot of affiliates of Pedro's, because he's got like 200 and some affiliates. Wow. So I get I meet them and then I make good relationships and they get to see my jujitsu and you know, I think more than just the jujitsu, I think like I've lived it and I think that's important. Yeah. A lot of people open up businesses and know nothing about their product. Like I wanna own a bar. Like right. bad. I wanna have a buy a bar. My biggest reason why I don't pursue it is probably that I don't know enough about the bar business. And I think that even though I worked in a bar for a few years, even though I've got friends that are knowledgeable, it's new territory. Yeah. I don't want to be the guy who just owns a gym and has, or owns a business and has to hire people to run it. Because when my toilet overflows, I'm plunging it. When staff calls in and can't teach, I'm covering their spot. I got to know the ins and outs of my business. And I think too many people go into business thinking that, now they're going to be like, yeah, I'm the owner of this place, and they're going to point fingers and delegate. That's the biggest like misused no, no. word, I think, yeah. in business is delegate. Delegate what to who? Like It's your business. you got to know. Right. Anyone I'm delegating work to, I've already spent 10 years, 20 years, developing that person for the role by them being my student and living and breathing and seeing me personally do everything that I'm preaching to them. Well before they were even an employee, because I've always always just hired from within my school, you know, with the exception of one time, and it backfired on me. So you hire, you got to know your business. You know that's that's the biggest thing. And my advice to anybody that's watching that wants to own a gym, wants to own a business in general, you got to know your business. You got to, you cannot be at the disposal of other people knowing. It's like going out on the street and saying, I hope somebody knows jiu-jitsu and is willing to step in if someone attacks me, right? Because right. you don't know what's coming at you. In business, you just don't know. You gotta be ready for it and you gotta be able to do it yourself. Well, John was holding up a sign
1: to better go ask an entrepreneur question. He just answered it, his advice for entrepreneurs. Um, great advice. Joey is um, asking me, and I wanted to ask you this as well. Tell us about the retreat. When is it? How does it work? Who can join a retreat?
2: So my retreat is... BJJretreats.com uh, In 2016 I'll just tell you really quick how, how it kind of came to came together In 2016 I was invited to be a guest instructor with Peter Sauer on his jiu-jitsu cruise that was ran by Grappler's Escape So we went all around the Caribbean Joey was my plus one My wife couldn't come or didn't want to leave the kids, one of the two So we nestled up together every night and had a nice romantic cruise. Jiu-jitsu all day long and some sun here and there. Uh, And in the process, I was talking with the owner, Catherine, and she's a very nice, very good business person. And she's a very nice lady. And I said, Catherine, I think I want to do something stateside that's a little more convenient and people don't have to spend as much money. And we talked about maybe doing something together. Um, But in the discussions, I felt like the price point and kind of the demographic I want to reach there's not going to be any room for me to try to do some major markups and make it an expensive event so I said I'm going to go up north talk to my friend we rented a or we were given a room up north in Wisconsin and Mercer as a trial run they gave us the room for free $50 room nights and I did my first retreat called the Northwoods retreat and we had about 50 some people and it was just straight money, like it made money off of it. So I took that money and I p- saved it. And then after the next one, I took that money and I bought mats and a trailer. And then I said, now we have the mats, now we have the trailer. I don't Because I was relying on a local guy to drive them around the lake up sure. north from Michigan. Now, and I said, let's, in the, let's do one a year, go down south in the winter, get away from the snow, and travel Florida. Uh, my dad's had a house in Florida, in Miami. I used to go there every summer and breaks and he loved florida that's where my brother spread his ashes after he passed away i just love florida uh i want to go there as much as i can so i figured this would be a perfect excuse for a little getaway and make maybe make some money but only if i do numbers i i have to do 40 50 people to break even when i'm renting these rooms but if i could do 100 people. I can make pretty good money and I also don't, I only charge like $200 or less for the pre-registration so I make it very affordable and I've met a lot of great people, a uh, bunch of other black belts chip in and you know, teach an hour or teach a move or two but for the most part it's four days of me just saturating my group with um, my rendition of jujitsu, and I pick a position to focus on and I try to... Let them leave there, feeling like they really improved on that. And then all the downtime, we're in the water, we're, you know, we're hanging out together, we're going, getting drinks or getting dinner and just everybody just mixes up. Some great friendships were made and it's just, it's just awesome. So they've done two up north, Cocoa Beach, Daytona Beach, and this year's Clearwater Beach and or February is in Clearwater Beach is the next one and we're already, Almost at capacity. Right, awesome. Right. When is it? February 21st through the
1: 23rd. Awesome. You have a uh, Richard Bryan said, definitely affordable, happy to travel the distance to attend them, even from the Caribbean. Jeremiah Katerina says, thanks for sharing your knowledge. Chris Toer, great interview. And then we have quite a few more, I think, going up.
2: Yeah, so. Uh, and then we got a
1: Hi Jungly, love Ty and Jacob. <laughs>
2: Those are my kids. <laughs> it's awesome. They it, don't couldn't ask miss Rowe that one. The name Jungly.
1: I was going to ask you, but I'll leave. I'll
2: leave it alone. No, it's it's funny. They're just. I don't know where they come up with the stuff, but something to do with judging America's Got Talent. Yeah, oh, America's Judge-ly. Got Talent judges, and they'll probably tell me I'm wrong when I get home. But um, and I was laying there, and my arm was like this, and my my armpit hair, went, and they're like, they're like, Daddy got jungle cuts, and I thought they said something about the judges. And the words got skewed, and then they started calling like they call started calling me jungly. So America's got talent. Go armpit hair. Somehow you got jungly. I Perfect. just you know, got to be in the right place at the right time to get a nickname it's like stuck. that. Stuck. And now like my my nieces are calling me that. It's just everyone on my wife's side of the family has weird names for each other. My wife is sister. Her sister is sister. But then to the kids, it's Sarah, Sarah, and Care, Care. And then my my. Uh, their, their grandpa is Bappo and their grandma's Gammo. And then on my side of the family, grandma's grandma. So it's like everything's so different. I think if you band. have another fight, you got to come out as Jungli instead of Big Frog. I know. I should just change my nickname, get rid of this old tattoo and <laughs> come up with another one or just add some hair to him or something. Yeah, give him some armpit hair and then you're set. Yeah. Jacob was like, I want to not go to school today, Dad. I want to be able to watch it live. I'm like, Jacob, you can watch it later. Yeah. Well, I
1: love that. We have we have people that want to watch us live, John. Beautiful. That's awesome. So outside of fighting, running the school, and jujitsu, jitsu um, what do you do in your free time?
2: Um, well, I don't do much. Yeah, jiu-jitsu. Um, it's, I spent the earlier part of my kids' lives very intertwined in fighting, so it was like just rush home and have time for to see them before bed, if that now that they're in school all day and i don't have the time to like maybe wake up and see them as much so like i try to get home more um we i we try i just want to be home you know if i don't if i have spare time i want to be home with my family i built a tiki bar i put in a pool i built put in a deck i made like a nice my my own little florida getaway in the back of my house and uh we enjoyed that like crazy this summer so just swim with the kids and have fun but my life. I'm pretty institutionalized to my daily life and being at the school and teaching and just being involved. Um, I'm learning to find time to just relax. I I don't mind when I'm by myself somewhere. It's nice and peaceful. Um, I like sometimes get lunch by myself. Probably more than I do with other people. I'll be I getting lunch that. by myself. Um, you know, it's peaceful. My my wife Sarah. She's uh, she worked for three years as an Assistant in the library. After my son Ty was born and Jacob was born, she was able to be home with the kids and leave her teaching position that she was at for seven years. But rather than go back to a classroom, she went back to the library. And then the past two years, she's been going through all of her um, recertifications for that position. And then she got hired on at my kids' school for the head librarian. So she's just wrapped up in work. Um, we just, I think. With my spare time, we talk about all the things we want to do if we ever have spare time. Yeah, <laughs> that's life of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, it's like my uncle always said. You know, being in business, he always told me he was my biggest business influence was my uncle Ken, and he always said entrepreneurs are the only people who give up working forty hours only to work eighty. It's exactly right. And he just lives and breathes his work. And um, I was always with him, and my older brother was always with my other uncle or my dad. So. He rubbed off on me, and we wake up and we go to work every day. Well,
1: you obviously have an incredible passion for what you do, so I think that really helps working 80 hours a week because it's a passion that started when you were young. Um, I told John we would blast through this hour. We blasted through it pretty quickly. Um, You have a lot of fans. You have a TJ TJ Abel, said Jeff and his team at the Academy are all wonderful role models, and hi from Alexander. Oh, little Alex. Yeah, he
2: he seems like he's going to be 6 forever. A little guy, but he he loves jiu
1: That's awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. I don't want to take up all of your time. I mean, I think you and I and John especially uh sitting around talking about uh martial arts could do this forever in business as well. Um appreciate you coming on. Um check out Jeff's website. What's your uh BJJ website? The the gym is dot com, and then if there's any availability for the retreat, a lot of the ju- I'm seeing a lot of jujitsu guys tuning in. Set up for the retreat seems like it's way more affordable than going to seminar here or seminar there. And it's you said four days, correct?
2: Yeah, this one is in Sheridan, Sheridan Sand Key Resort in Clearwater. It's two twenty five with the pre registration, and that rate will go up to two seventy five after the end of October. So like November first, it'll bump up. But once you're in, once you've done one, we have this like loyalty club that you can pre-register before everybody else for like 175 bucks, And everybody this year gets a free rash guard. It's that's pretty, awesome. Pretty it's dope. a steal. Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's it's cr- cr- that's crazy, crazy for I four days. You that that. It can't be, business can't always be about money. It's got to be about an experience and just building camaraderie and brotherhood and team jiu-jitsu. So, I love it.
1: I'm going to have to maybe see if uh, I can get Lawrence or Christian or somebody yeah, to come you, down with Lawrence, me.
2: Lawrence, Christian. I Johnny too. I told Lawrence a couple times back in the day like I got to come. Christian too. I just you know. Lawrence he, travels a lot. He travels like you, on your way to Fiji or wherever you're going yeah. he, can, he can manage to stop by and slum it with us in Clearwater.
1: Listen, and it's going to be Florida. He can have his shirt off in the winter. He's going to get right. kind of cranky if he doesn't have his shirt off in the I'll winter I'll probably year. get in a
2: little better shape for this February. Last year, year's like, oh, shirt's off. Now nah, I'll probably keep mine on.
1: Yeah, I always keep mine on standing next to the No though. one's looking, jump in the pool,
2: and then be like, all right, now my shirt can be off.
1: Well, I just I just got back from Mexico, and I did an Instagram photo, and I, I put up there my photo tips for taking a photo. Hide the lower abs in the water and only just do curls, push-ups, and shrugs for like That's three it. weeks. Yeah, there's, always
2: there's always a way. And then lots of filters.
1: <laughs> well, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, guys, check out his website. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time obviously a legend in both MMA and Jiu Jitsu. John and I have been uh, kind of chomping at the bits to have you on for a while, so we'd love to have you back at some point again. So Anytime, thanks again. I had a blast, thanks guys. Yeah, thank you. John, do we have an announcement for next week or we're gonna go uh, announcement list? Yeah. I'll do. let you announce it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So next week we have the marketing director for Hilton Grand Vacations, uh, organization that I do work with. Her name is Natalie Garner, uh, very intelligent uh, sales-oriented person she's going to teach us a lot about direct sales also ariel davis who works with natalie but is also a contestant for the miss illinois pageant wow yeah so next week is going to be really really fun i'm looking forward to it this week was awesome uh jeff if you don't mind i have one well a couple quick questions
1: oh I goofed up I didn't ask you I didn't, yeah, I didn't have you yeah ask questions. yeah I'm, I'm Shoot, here <laughs> in. Shoot.
0: Uh, so Jeff the show goes you, on I'm gonna put you and I on split screen so you don't have to turn around but real quick uh, a learning experience because you've gone through so much in your life and are transitioning from fighting into full-time uh, coaching and building the business Just a life experience, a learning experience you would like to share with us. Something that, just a few words of of quick advice.
2: Yeah, summed up without details. um, I always wanted, you know, we hear the saying, less is more. Um, This is so true. If you reverse those words and you say more is less, it even sounds like a little little bit different. I personally was in a situation where I felt like the only thing to do was to expand and spent so much time trying to build like the mega facility that and do all these things to make my you know to make my uh members happy to make a better future for my staff to put me in a position to grow more and you know hire more people and just I felt like when I did that I overshot myself and it it wasn't so bad for the first few years and then 2009 hit and the reason why I say like more is less because the more you have sometimes when the when the with the economy the way it is when the economy takes a a really bad backwards backwards plunge you got to have enough not, if you don't have enough money to save, you definitely don't want to have so much overhead that it's going to wipe you out. Right. And that's what happened with me: is life was manageable at the highest peak. Anything less than that, I was struggling. So when the economy had a bad, a bad run, it took everything. I, thankfully, I didn't have to like cut off my leg or my arm and sell it or something. You know, like I, I did everything I could just to salvage and to. Uh, mitigate the damage that like that 2009 did to me and at that point I had this 24,000 square foot mega facility and my mortgage was about $16,000 a month my electric bill was 3000 a month and the list goes on Oof. and I have $50,000 a month coming in and $60,000 a month going out so every few months I have to fight take that $30,000 throw it in and I'm still behind on it. and at the same time I had no salary as an employee so I was living off of seminars and whatever. So just, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with just building your business so big that there's a line out the door. And that goes back to the Monty Cox, my partner in the XFO, one of my, my manager, uh, who, John, you know, Monty really yep. well. Yep. Um, I come into him crying one time on our first big show and I'm like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. Everyone's mad. I said, there's a line out the door. Everyone's pissed. He's like, well, that'll make a buy ticket sooner next time. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'll, they're all—they're never gonna come back. He's just like, they're gonna come back, and they're gonna come back sooner. He's like, I was like, no, I think we need to go to the Sears Center, and we need to go like these big arenas. He's like, yeah, and then we'll be writing a fifty thousand dollar check at the end of the night. So there's nothing wrong with just having that—that that little business that's doing big things, yeah. or having that, like my gym's ten thousand square feet—not little by any means. It, it's enormous compared to lots of schools that are successful but i have a good overhead because of my area and i went industrial but i can pack that thing to the brim there's never i'll never grow out of that no matter how big i get i'll just change scheduling i will always or i'll cut it off i'll cut it off and say get on the list because or i'll open another gym 10 miles away you know like everything should be i think no everyone sees the the glitter and the glamour and the success of mma and that makes them want to be a fighter till they go and spar their first time or fight their first time and get knocked out or cracked in the face and realize like wow maybe i don't want this right know your business be conservative because we never know where the economy's going right. and you'll be doing your customers a favor when you're still in business 20 years later very love good. that advice i'm
1: glad love you it. asked john
0: yeah me too me Thanks, too john. i was just absolutely yeah uh so we heard about jungly. Yes, right. uh, and I'm sure you've, you've told us a thousand times, but big frog, how'd yeah. you get that?
2: Uh, so big frog, um, I have a tattoo on my back, c- completely unrelated to fighting. It's a big frog. Okay. I shouldn't even say a big <coughs> frog. It's just a frog. And it's climbing up some stones, some Japanese kanji or Chinese kanji that was made into stones. These days don't even know what it meant. I thought it looked cool. I got it when I was 18. Years later, not years later, months later, I don't even know the timeline, I was warming up class in Utah, and uh, Pedro Sauer's nephew, Rodrigo, and Milker uh, who t- from Team Mika in Vegas, they were also purple belts, and they were, like, calling me sapão in Portuguese. It was big frog. I asked why. He said, well, you see the tattoo on your back and the warm-ups you were doing. We figured, you know, you like to move like a frog. And uh, nowadays, it's kind of become, like, I just tell people, like, have you ever tried to catch a frog? Yeah. <laughs> they're, not, you know, they're not easy to catch a frog. Very good. All right. There you go. All right. Um, two good well, ones guys. from you, John. Well,
0: you know, I've been waiting to talk to this guy for a while. So uh, one more, and I'll let you go. When you're in a fight, when you're in the octagon, and you're down on the ground up against the fence, and you're near the announcers, and if things aren't going your way and you – can you hear the announcers saying, oh, he should do this or do that, or, yeah. oh, it's not looking good, or however they phrase it? <laughs> yeah. Does that get in your head? Do you, do you want to look at somebody like Rogan and just tell them to shut up? Or, I mean, I have,
2: um, well, I have in plenty of fights to either fans sitting cage side or commentators. When I hear things I don't like, mm. I've told them where to. We shove it you know right there like right there what I'm doing with the, maybe a little bit more aggression in my voice because like I'm hitting <laughs> the guy in the face you know to tell me, you know go to go eat shit or something like that <laughs> yeah. you know like come on the mo- right. chances are anyone judging you from the outside right. doesn't know has not to do. ever been with your back to the wall getting punched in the face right, right. you know so I don't like that kind of uh, criticism I hate the booing,
1: the random that? booing that happens in the middle of like good yeah. strategic. Oh god, it was so bad like, in the in the early days. It was just like get a rope. Why don't you do this? Because right, like, nobody, nobody understood grappling at all.
2: Yeah, it's like why don't you come over here and I'll do that to you, you <laughs> asshole. Yeah, they were they were
1: thinking of like the uh, what was like the uh, the crazy boxing fights they had that were like a minute long and they just like
2: yeah, the tough man, that's tough like Robbie man, yeah. Lawler and tough the, man, Drew Dierian and these types of guys like just. One minute, swinging for the fence. And then after round one, if no one's down, they're completely exhausted.
1: Yes. Yeah. Man. But that's what everybody expected early on. That's all right. they wanted. They, tough they, man. They wanted, they wanted like, the tough man. Yep. yep. That's awesome. Well, Bro. thanks again, Jeff. Um, that was awesome. And uh, what a cool run through kind of your start and uh, your history with jujitsu jitsu and MMA. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best of luck. And uh, I'm going to try to get a group of guys to come out to uh, a
2: retreat. Let me know, man. Yeah, you know what? Hook me, hit me up there. I have a private link for the VIP thing too that I left there for some of the the latecomers from the, the loyalty group. So just put you in. I don't, it's it's about the experience. It's a great time. And, awesome. Uh, you won't be disappointed, I promise. Very cool. John,
1: anything else from you, buddy? That is all we got for the day. Awesome. We'll see you guys next Wednesday at three o'clock. Sounds like we got a great show. And John, make sure to get me a uh, Hilton vacation comp for, you know uh, I will. for next week. <laughs> See you guys.
0: Three, two, one.